It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 299 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, March 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode. Uh, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. All 30 NBA teams have shows on there. Find a host that you like. Find a team that you're interested in. Uh, subscribe to that show separately. Leave a rating or a review. If you want to listen to all the shows, you can just scroll through the Locked On NBA feed. Uh, and there's an endless stream of content for you to put into your ears if you'd like to do so. David Locke today has Adam Silver on the show. Uh, I'll probably do a little podcast tomorrow talking about some of the stuff from in that interview. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We'll play some clips from it. Um, but if you want to listen to the full thing, go to David Locke's podcast, Locked on NBA. Listen to him with Adam Silver today on that show. And uh, if you find Locked on Raptors on iTunes, leave a rating and review as well, please. It's uh, very helpful. It makes uh, us move up the rankings and all that stuff. And uh, thank you in advance for doing that. All right, on today's show, uh, returning guest, one of the, the, the most beloved recurring guests on this podcast is James Herbert from CBS Sports. How's it going, man? It's going well. What are you going to do to celebrate number 300? I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. Uh, maybe make a cake of some sort? I don't, I, I don't know. Do, 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 is that a thing? Like podcast party cakes? Is that, that's yeah. yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, what kind of cake should I get? Ooh, I would. I miss Dufflet's cakes. What is I don't it? live in Toronto anymore, but is, that what? place, it's on Queen West. It's they're a little expensive, but they're really good. Oh, okay. I don't live in Toronto anymore either, so I, I don't. I've never been there before, and, I, and it's not really nearby. So, um, I'm, I'm so just, you need another plan. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look up Hamilton-based cakes, or uh, just go to the grocery store and make my own cake with whatever I buy. Are you a chocolate or vanilla cake guy? Chocolate. Ugh, I can get down with vanilla. Like I don't have any. On my old podcast, I used to fight with Zach Harper about <laughs> vanilla ice cream because his stance was that whenever you're buying ice cream, the correct choice is vanilla. So and I just stupid. thought that is limiting yourself in a crazy way. Like vanilla is good yeah. every once in a while, sure, but like there's a reason why people will be like, "Yeah, I liked it, but it was pretty vanilla." Like yeah. it's plain. Like you want to. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while it's fine I, I'm into vanilla soft serve ice cream it's very nice but mm-hmm. that's not what I want every time and I don't want a vanilla cake every time either I, uh, they have Dairy Queen in the States? yeah so they have like Dairy Queen ice cream cakes then because that's the that's the correct choice if you're getting ice cream or cake really well that, I think you've just solved your problem <laughs> you just need to get like like the little 300 candles on it and you're set that sounds like a, an ordeal but hey Maybe I'll get one of the listeners to supply a cake, that, 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 if there are any of those. Um, well, I, had, I wanted to have you on the show for a very specific reason. It also happened that there was a basketball game last night that we could talk about as well. But earlier this week, you wrote a very excellent piece about Kyle Lowry um, and kind of got him to open up, it seems, in a way that we don't really see all that much from Kyle. He's kind of tight-lipped with the media. I mean, he'll do his podcast with Woj or 
uh, or whoever, and he'll sort of, you know, be sort of outward that way. But he doesn't really expose himself to the media all that much, and it seemed like you got some good stuff from him. It's, the, the opening line is about how you got him laughing like four times mid-question. Um, is this, so you've covered the Raptors in Toronto for a while, now you're in Brooklyn. Is this the most you've been able to get Kyle to open up in your time covering him? Um, maybe just because I haven't done a lot of, like, long interviews with Kyle before. Right. Like, I've tried, but it just sort of never came together. Like, I've talked to him one-on-one for, like, stories about the team Mm -hmm. or stories about his teammates or whatever, and I've been able to get good answers from him, but I've never, even for this, like, this was not, like, a half-hour sit-down interview. Like, I got him, um, one-on-one. And I, I had my questions ready. I'd been thinking about what I wanted to talk to him about. And, I mean, he, you know, the laughing thing, like, the reason I, I put that in there is, like, if you've, like, watched Kyle Lowry talk to the media, um, he has, like, a very distinctive, like, laugh and smirk that he gives. <laughs> like, he is a smartass. He knows where you're going with your questions. Um, he can, like, when he chooses to be... Uh, charming and personable like all those podcasts that, that you mentioned like he, he's great um if you get him after a loss or if it's a line of questioning he doesn't like he can be very short um and i just it, it look it, it's not like like if you i did a fred van vliet q a um also and like i just ran the whole transcript and mm-hmm. that that was the story i think if i had run just the transcript of me and kyle talking like there's some cool stuff in there but i don't think it would have been as interesting right uh he, he he's not the kind of guy that most of the time is going to give you like a two minute soliloquy on on some sort of subject but if you ask him direct specific questions i mean he's a super smart guy he's thought a lot about where he's come from where he is um where he wants the team to go and he can he can give a good interview like i remember hearing on a, an espn podcast this year when brian winhurst was talking about who his favorite stars to talk to in the NBA are one of the first names he mentioned was Kyle Lowry. And I think a lot of Toronto media would be like, what really? <laughs> but, um, if you do get him like, seriously though, if you do get him just one-on-one and you ask him halfway decent questions, like he can be a really insightful guy. And that's why I've wanted to write about him for a long time. And, you know, it, I think, um, it's an interesting time to do a story on Kyle because it's, it's not like he's this up and coming underappreciated guy anymore. Mm -hmm. He's taken a step back this year. Um, it's, he's not carrying these bench units. Like the team is actually good when he's not on the floor for the first time. But I think there's something commendable about the fact that he was willing to, to do that and that he's, he's bought into this, um, style of play that is not going to be good for his individual, like per game numbers, but well, like, at least the way the Raptors see it, the the plan is that it will make him fresher in the playoffs and able to give him more, give the team more on both ends when it really counts. Yeah, for sure. I, I you mentioned that like he will kind of be able to know where your questions are going, and he's kind of smart yeah. ass in scrums. And I so take maybe a little bit behind the curtain with like how it all works. Like the whole post game media thing is kind of a dumb charade. I mean, it's it's useful in certain aspects and like I've definitely gotten use out of it, but it's not like the you're not going to get the best stuff and the questions are often very similar and come from a smaller group of people and those people that are just there because they have to ask those questions kind of thing. Um, but and, and I think Kyle's kind of on board with the people who realize that it's a bit of a charade, so I, I'm not surprised that 
getting him one-on-one is a little bit easier to sort of open him up a little bit and get him talking. I I think like like you and like you mentioned in the piece, and I think like a lot of people, I've always expected Kyle to eventually be a coach. But mm. with the way he described how he's not patient enough to be a coach, it all makes sense now. Like, no way could he ever be a coach. I don't think, like, Dwayne Casey's the most patient dude in the world. I just, I can't imagine Casey or Lowry ever having that level of patience. Yeah, um, that was a question I've wanted to ask him for a long time. It was the first thing I asked him. Actually, uh, one of the first things I asked him. It was the first thing I put in the piece. Uh, and, look, we all, he is smart enough to be a basketball coach. Like, absolutely one of the smartest players in the NBA. I've always thought the way he sees the game is pretty similar to the way that Chris Paul does. I know they're different players. Mm. Um, but in terms of just looking for every little edge, looking for every little advantage, um, knowing the other team's plays, like knowing um, exactly where he's going to get his offense from, like he is a super smart guy. And if he wanted to coach a team, he could. But he says, um, as you mentioned, that he just does not have the patience. He would not be able to coach somebody <laughs> like him. He's too stubborn. He's too hard-headed. And I thought it was a hilarious answer, and it's also, like, it's pretty revealing about who he is. And I think um, there there have been stories told in the past about how he's become a better teammate. He's become more coachable. He's become a better leader. And all of that is very true. But that quality about him that can be edgy, that can rub people the wrong way, that can result in, say him calling out a teammate um in very public view during a game or him getting into getting into it with the coaches at practice like that is still very much a part of who he is and i think he's better about managing that he's better about seeing the big picture um than he was in the past he is a more mature guy but he's still going to push people he's still going to challenge people he's still gonna um i think call people out when he thinks things are are going wrong and if he was a coach like if he was to go back on his word and eventually pursue that he would have to get like way better at that than even he is now <laughs> like he would have to be able to live with rookies coming in who have like never been taught how to navigate a screen right like he just <laughs> does not have patience for that, for that kind of thing yeah, you'd have to have like a bunch of phil jacksons as his assistants just like the most relaxed people in the world something like that the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, that, that stubborn personality, like I think you could argue at certain times over the last few years, has almost potentially maybe cost Dwayne Casey his job because it really felt like those two, uh, more than anyone else, and maybe there were other rifts with, between the coaching staff and the players before this season, but it really felt like Lowry and Casey were kind of, at some points, it, it almost felt like it was an either-or type of thing for the organization, and like you're always going to go with the player. So like it always kind of felt like if Casey was going to be fired, it wouldn't ever be outwardly said that like Lowry was behind it, but it kind of felt like potentially that could be sort of an underlying reason for that to happen. And Honestly, I, I can't believe that we're at the point now where he's just, like, outwardly singing the praises of Dwayne Casey like he did in your piece. Unprompted, too. I yeah. didn't ask him about Casey. Yeah. He, just, he just said it. Yeah. And 
Uh, you'll remember after the Rockets game, the big game, Larry was asked about basically how did you pull that off, and he, he said game plan like four different times. <laughs> like he very much wanted to credit the coaching staff. I think he is at the time, like I was there, um, his first couple of years, he did not want to acknowledge that there were problems with Casey. Casey did not want to acknowledge it on the record publicly either, mm-hmm. but everybody kind of knew. Yeah, And in several interviews he's given since then, he's acknowledged it. He's acknowledged that they butted heads and that they had different ideas of how the game should be played. Um, and look, they, they've spent so much time together. Like, he's been a Raptor for six years. He's been a Raptor for half of his career now. Mm-hmm. And that's something that he never anticipated. He thought it was going to be a short stop on his journey. He was going to get the hell out of there. Um, I, I think there were definitely times where Dwayne wasn't sure if he was going to come back, but here they both are. And their relationship, like, by all accounts, has never been better. And that in itself, I mean, you, you could, like, if I had just kept asking him questions about Dwayne, like, that that could be a piece in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Is the evolution of the relationship between hard-headed, stubborn point guard and head coach, who at one point started Jose Calderon over him. Yeah. Like, that, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> and... For him to, to play the best basketball of his career under Casey, um, to take it to another level these past couple of years with the way that he's shooting threes off the dribble. Um, I think there's lots of interesting things about Kyle, whether it's like it's his personality, his style on the court, the evolution of his game. I mean, he didn't, he didn't come into the league as a three-point shooter at all, and now that's arguably his most valuable trait. Um, so I, I, he's not like – it's interesting, like – he was never quite like a superstar, but he was the best player on the team for a while. Now he arguably isn't like he, he probably the second best player mm-hmm. on the team at this point, but he's still just so important to the identity of the team, um, to, to what they're trying to accomplish every night. And I think it's also like, um, there, there are lots of teams in the NBA who like, you look at them and you say like, they don't, they don't necessarily have the edge that you need. They're not tough enough. They're not, I don't know if they have that oomph and it's like, to the degree that the Raptors are tough, like a lot of that starts with Kyle. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, William Lou tweeted about this a couple weeks ago and said, like, Kyle Lowry's a superstar at role player skills. And yeah. that kind of sums it up perfectly. And honestly, you mentioned you think DeMar might be, maybe has surpassed Kyle as the best player. I still think, maybe. like, Kyle's the most important player on the team. And I think games like last night against the Cavs kind of show that. I, I, I think Kyle probably should have been given the ball a little bit more late in the game. We can get to that in a bit. Um, you sort of mentioned the, the the plan for him this season, which was to sort of scale back his minutes and you know try to change things around and have him play off the ball more and have him be less of a, a focal point in the offense. And ultimately, I think all of that was geared at trying to keep him fresh for the playoffs and keep him you know not being completely worn down like he has been the last few years. Uh, do you think it's going to work? And do you think both the offense and the way he fits into it and just, like, how they've used him this season, like, do you think it's going to lead to better results for the Raptors in the playoffs? I think on an individual level it has worked. I think he looks yeah. great. Yeah. Um, the the question is, the bigger picture, um, if the, the sort of... Um, the issues that have reared their ugly heads in the past are going to reappear, right? Like, if teams are leaving OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam open for three-pointers and they're missing in the playoffs, that hurts the team. That has nothing to do with Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And I, and, and I also I don't think that necessarily means that, that this style change was wrong and that the, the sort of scaling back of DeMar and Kyle's minutes to open up opportunities for the other guys was wrong. I think 
the fact that the bench has been so freaking dominant. Like, I literally cannot recall in my lifetime a bench <laughs> like this. Like, I can remember teams like the Hubie Brown Grizzlies that played um, everybody they had on the roster and, and played, and, like, nobody played more than, like, 28 minutes. Like, I, I can remember teams that had, like, the platoon-style mm-hmm. system. But it's not like the bench was coming in and just destroying teams. Like, they were, they were good. But, like, the bench is the biggest reason why this Raptors team might win 60 games. Yeah. Like, I think the results are already there. Um, the the only thing is, will it make the difference that it's supposed to in the playoffs? Because part of this was like, you want these guys, these non-Demar Kyle players, to be ready to make plays and to be ready to shoot and to not be surprised when the ball comes to them out of traps. You want the the ball movement to be built into the offense foundationally. And like in theory, that all sounds great, and I I think that gives the, them a higher chance of succeeding offensively in the playoffs they still have to make the shots they still have to make the plays and uh that that's that's what we'll have to talk about a month from now yeah i kind of i don't know i feel like it's gotten a little bit lazy with people talking about the raptors in the playoffs like i feel like every opportunity like last night for example they lose that close game and it's instantly oh yeah the playoff raptors are back blah 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 Did that like, Look it, how many points they scored. Exactly. Like, it, it, it just it blows my mind that people can just assume that it's going to be the same because that's what it was in the past when this is an entirely different team from the way they play to the sort of hierarchy of the players to the, the pieces around the three guys who have been here for the last five years. Like, everything has changed. And it, it, there, while I'm not saying it's 100% going to go smoothly, I, don't, I think that you, know, you mentioned OG. He has not been very good of late, and he has kind of regressed from the uh-huh. start of the season. Siakam, his three-point shooting is going to be an issue. That, that said, I think he can make plays off the dribble and in space that maybe guys like Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll couldn't make last season, which sort of right. maybe balances out his weakness shooting. Um, like I, I think the defense is just like people kind of sleep on the defense. It's been ridiculous all season long, and it's been everybody. Like Jonas Valanciunas has been good defensively. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. So I uh, the JV the JV year that he's had has been probably of all the things the, yeah. the, that might be the thing that surprised me the most. Yeah, I, I I mean even in the start of the season, like November, I was like ready to write off JV and like oh maybe they should just like look to dump him like they were going to in the summer. He's not been very good. He doesn't seem to fit. And since December, uh, we're all very wrong about JV. Um, so I, I think it's lazy to just assume that because in the past they they they've struggled in the playoffs that they're just going to this year. Like I think the work they've done this season and the amount of change that everyone's talking about, like they're on ESPN last night and they're talking about how much things have changed. Like, I don't think you can say that things have changed and then just assume it's going to be the same in the playoffs. Unless, I don't know, do you think Kyle and Damar are playoff chokers? Is that just, does it come down to that? Like, do you think that's true? I don't know. I know that's what people will say if they have a poor performance this year. Yeah. But, like, I don't think that's the case. I want to see what it looks like in this new system. Um, and I just say, like, based on last night's game, like, you tell me LeBron is going to have, what, 35-17, no turnovers, have the game that he had, and basically the role player is going to make all the shots. Yeah. Like, just everything. And you think that's a Cavs blowout. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't think that's a close game. Like, the Raptors almost won that despite everything going wrong yeah. um, defensively. The Raptors have been an amazing defensive team all year. Uh, the Cavs shredded them for a lot of the game. And had some amazing shot making, and LeBron did LeBron stuff. Uh, the fact that they were in it, um, also on the third game in four nights while the Cavs were rested, like I, I think there are lots of positives to take away, 
from that game for Toronto? Would, would you have uh, rather see them have like a statement win on the road? Like, yeah, sure, of course. Like that's that's what Raptor fans are going to want. But I I don't think that was like anything to be panicked about. Like, I, definitely not to say like, oh, the playoff Raptors are back. Like, if that's the playoff Raptors, like the playoff Raptors is going to be pretty good, like, yeah. like, pretty well. <laughs> The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I said this when we talked about the game after the, uh, the game last night of the podcast, but I'll reiterate it now. Like, I think the only way that your outlook on the Raptors changes from that game is if you, for some reason, went into it thinking the Raptors were like prohibitive favorites over the Cavs and that they, you know, there's no reason they, there's, they should win, you know, nine out of ten series against them, which would have been stupid for you to think that because LeBron James exists. And I think uh-huh. if you look at, if you were going in with a level-headed thinking of, like, these are two teams that are very even, it's probably a coin flip. Like, I think last, last night really sort of shows that. And, yes, the Cavs are missing a bunch of guys. The Raptors were not very rested. Like, it's not – the context of the game is such that, like, nothing was ever going to mean anything going coming out of it. Yet everyone seems to want to be pulling some sort of meaning out of it, which is exhausting. Um, but I don't know, was there anything from that game that you sort of, and we talked about this last night too, but I'd like to get your thoughts. Is there anything from that game that is meaningful that in a potential Eastern Conference Finals or second round playoff series you think will actually come back around to matter? Yeah, um, probably just thinking about who's going to guard LeBron. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't I don't know if you'd want to turn to CJ Miles who didn't play. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's a, a very good idea anyway. Um probably and not. will be really struggled with that. And yeah. Siakam I thought was great. Yeah. I know LeBron got a lot of points and a lot of assists, but if you watch how Siakam defended him for most of the game, I thought he was amazing. Um and I think that's a really good option to have, but Siakam's not going to start at the 3. No. Um they they need somebody who is going to do that, and whether that's Ananobi, that's Norman Powell, uh, whoever, um, I, I'm interested to see what they end up going with, because there's no obvious, like, there's no P.J. Tucker on this team, right? There's no one that you're just like, okay, like, like that's that's who's going to guard him for the vast majority of the night. Even though, like, we know that he didn't guard LeBron for all of that series for some reason last year, but we don't need to get back into that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a thing for sure. It's a thing in every series that LeBron plays in, though. And it's an inescapable yeah. problem that every team has faced for the last seven or eight years. So I don't think it's like new for the Raptors to have to deal with that. And if that's your biggest concern, then, you I mean, join the club, I guess. Um, I, I guess I just wonder if, if OG will be playable. That That would be... That's where my head goes. Yeah, I I mean, and Serge looks so... Like, Serge has to be much better than that for the Raptors to have a chance, I think, in a series. Like, he just has to that was not, not a great game for be you. terrible, which I think he's going to be fine. Uh, and I've beaten this horse to death on the podcast for the last two weeks. Like, he's going to be fine. He, like, he, he was great in the playoffs last year. He's probably the biggest reason, aside from DeMar, that they won the series against the Bucks. Like, he was outstanding. And I can't really begrudge the guy for not caring in the regular season when he has been in some of the craziest playoff series of the last decade. Um, you know, maybe you wish he would give a little bit more of a shit, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be fine. 
Uh, that said, he has to be significantly better than he was last night for the Raptors to have a shot, and probably not guarding LeBron in crunch time. That would be nice. <laughs> and then, yeah, I honestly... Casey's going to have to get creative because I'm not sure Miles is going to be able to guard LeBron. But at the same time, if you have LeBron, if you have Miles out there, maybe your offense is so good that you're okay with it. Um, and, I mean, the offense was incredible last night without Miles. I think they could have used him a little bit for some punch in the fourth quarter in particular. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, I, I don't know. I threw out the idea yesterday of, like, maybe a lineup with, like, DeLon Wright playing the three. And, yes, he's too small to guard LeBron successfully, probably, but... Uh, the Raptors have been really good three-point guard lineups. He's shot threes reasonably well, especially in catch-and-shoot situations. Like, I think there are options the Raptors can go with to sort of maybe turn it back towards the Cavs. And, and like, you're not going to stop LeBron, but you, maybe you can make LeBron, maybe you can try to expose him and his, his sort of his lesson defense and just the Cavs' bad defense as a whole by just putting the best offensive lineup out there. Because I think... More so this year than ever before, the Raptors can probably hang in in an offensive shootout with the Cavs, and I don't think you could have said that last year. Yeah, no, I mean, the Raptors are just on a different level than they were last year, I think. They're they're just, they went from a very good team to what I would consider a great team, and they have an identity now. Um, They're just, they're they're deeper, they're more confident, they know what they're doing. Um, I think their best players have gotten better, and their reserves have gotten better, so... I would begrudge no one for picking the Raptors in a series against the Cavs despite the LeBron problem, but the LeBron problem does still exist. And it's not like we can talk about DeLon Wright or whoever. Like, it's not even just one guy. Like, you need team defense against LeBron. But it it does help if you have somebody who can at least stay in front of him because the way that he destroys teams is by luring in help defense and then just finding shooters. And, like, Kyle Corver didn't even play. Yeah. Um, And that's a guy that, like, Historically, in the playoffs, like, it just, like, it's very powerful having somebody um, with his amount of gravity on the court next to LeBron. Um, if George Hill is shooting like that, um, then you're just, it's it's tough. Like, I, I, I do like the composition of this Cavs roster uh, post-trade deadline offensively a lot because it, it's just hard to figure out who to leave. Um, Larry Nance didn't play, and... He's a guy that gives them vertical spacing that they didn't have in any of those lineups that makes it... That's another problem mm-hmm. when they're running the pick-and-roll. Uh, but I think if you're Toronto, you have to look at that matchup if they're fortunate enough to end up playing them and say, well, as great as they are offensively, this might be an incredible offensive team by then once they've had some time to figure out chemistry because they should get like Hood and Thompson and Osmond and Korver back like, somewhat soon. Um as great as they are offensively, like they just have no defensive identity. They have terrible habits, mm-hmm. and they have individual poor defenders that you can exploit. And that, like the Raptors' calling card, has to be that they're just way more balanced than any team in the league, aside from the Warriors and Rockets. Yeah, and I think maybe the Cavs' best offensive looks are probably their worst defensive looks as well. When you have Corver and, and Love out there in, in sort of their ideal shooting lineups, like that's going to be easy to pick apart. You would think yeah. uh, on the other end. So yeah, again, it's very coin flippy between the two, and I'm not at all yet ready to decide who I think is better or who has the edge in the series. I'd probably leave LeBron because LeBron, but like I think <laughs> the Raptors are good enough and they've shown enough this season to think that it's pretty even. Uh, to tie this thing back to Kyle, I'll leave this. Uh, we'll wrap it up after this, but. Um, Kyle last night barely touched the ball in crunch time after being just 
ridiculously on fire in the first part of the game and for most of March, really. Um, he's just been yeah. just on one of those Kyle Lowry tears where he can't miss. Do you... I don't know. It's hard to say because obviously so much of the the good things that have come out of this season have been through the new offensive identity where you're not relying so heavily on Kyle and DeMar. Uh, and I think as the Raptors have gotten better in crunch time through throughout the season, it's usually been through going away from Kyle and DeMar in every possession and, and sort of trying to incorporate other guys. And, you know, the most notable crunch time bucket they got last night was a, a dump off to Pascal Siakam for the dunk, and that was great. Yep. But at the same time, great Kyle Lowry's... Great pass Lowry's, by DeMar. Oh, just a great pass. Um, but at the same time... Kyle Lowry's really good, and he's good at creating his own shot, and he's a great shooter. And I feel like maybe he's kind of being forgotten in crunch time, and maybe it's okay for the first 44 minutes of a game to have him play off ball and, and sort of you know preserve him. But in theory, you're preserving him for times like crunch time of a very close game against the Cavaliers, and they didn't really go to him. Like, do you wish the Raptors would maybe sort of look for him a little bit more often? Because it's mostly been Fred and DeMar handling the ball, and if it comes to Kyle, it's usually on a swing, and, and most times it doesn't come to him at all in those situations. Yeah, it's tough because I, I don't think they've been, at least lately, like I don't think they've been that bad in crunch time. Yeah. Um, they, they started the year having some problems there. Um, I think, like, in general, you have to take what the defense gives you. If they're, like, trying to keep the ball out of Kyle's hands, then, yeah. like, you can use that to your advantage. Um, but, like, sure, like, the best the, the best players on your team like the ball has to find their way to them at some point during a tight game and Van Vliet has been awesome at getting in the paint and making plays in those situations too so it's not like you want to disempower him or anybody else from putting the ball on the floor um, but just because Kyle touches it doesn't mean he has to shoot like yeah. he doesn't have to force up anything bad and he generally doesn't anyway it's just like you, you want to make sure you're not wasting him mm-hmm. if, if he's used as a decoy on an end of game possession that's okay but i don't think you want to use him as a decoy every single time or just a floor spacer because he can he can be more than that for you and i know there was one crucial possession last night where he just sort of bullied his way to the basket and he drew a foul and the Cavs fans were all upset but it was like pretty clearly a foul (laughs) and i think jeff green was guarding him um and it like there's no reason you can't like if they're if opposing teams are switching every pick and roll and you're hunting matchups for DeMar to ISO against a guy um, and draw help or draw foul or just go get a layup, like you can do the same stuff with Kyle. So um, I, I, my like roundabout way of answering that is like he has to be involved. He doesn't have to take every shot. Fair enough. Um, thanks for coming on, man. I, that This has been great. Uh, the Raptors are... Uh, oh, they're not in Brooklyn tomorrow. Never mind. So you're not going to see the team again. Uh, that's disappointing because I was looking forward to you finding the next Raptor to do a thing on because you've done things on Bebe and Fred and Lowry. Who's your favorite Raptor to talk to? Right now, it's probably Fred. Yeah, like. that's, he's everyone's favorite. He's just become like a, a post-game scrum guy. Like every night. Yeah, but on, on the road, not as much. Mm-hmm. Um like when he was like I did I did my one on one with him it was like after a game in the locker room like I talked to him and I think uh, Michael Grange talked to him that night and he got out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's just look like I've written a bunch of Raptor stuff this year like I I went to him um, to talk about Pascal for the Pascal story I went to him to talk about the team for the the general story I did about the team style shift which is, might have been the last time I came on this podcast or maybe I've been on since I don't know um, but. 
whether it's like talking about himself, talking about the team, talking about he's just he's always um, really candid. He swears a lot, which is, which is funny. <laughs> like every time I talk to him, he ends up swearing a bunch of times in the interview, which is good for me. Yeah. Um, and I just no, he's refreshing. He's honest. He I think he's he's getting to the point where he would rather not um, have to do as much media as he's doing. It just becomes such a story. Uh, but he hasn't let that like really change the way he is with people. I think he just doesn't have it in him to be a jerk or be short with people. <laughs> he's got to like, hawk the product, though, so I understand why he's doing all the media. <laughs> he's got the clothing line to sell. Um, personally, Do you have any bet on yourself gear? I do not. Um, it was really funny in the locker room. Uh, I can't remember what game. I think it was after the Houston game, actually. I think Fred had a nice game, uh, and... I don't know what how it all had. They were all like Pascal was yelling at Fred, be like, "Oh, bet on yourself, the little, little Freddy or whatever." And then Serge comes out of the shower and he's saying, "Bet for your life, bet for your life, bet for your life," <laughs> and everyone's like, "What?" <laughs> and they, they they start you know just hit, just ripping on Serge for that, and then Fred ultimately says, "I think that's better." Um, I don't think it's better, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's all it, the Fred thing's been really fun this season, and your your Q and A was excellent. So make sure you're reading James's Q and A, read everything James writes about the Raptors and the rest of the NBA because it's all very good. Um, and uh, we'll definitely have you on again soon if you'll give me the time for sure, because you uh, you rule, James. Anything else you want to plug right now? <laughs> uh, not really. Just yeah, CBS Sports NBA. Uh, that that's where you'll find my stuff and. Uh, sometimes I post cat photos on my Twitter account, which is at outside the NBA. <laughs> does the does Duck have it? Uh, have a Twitter account? Uh, yeah, okay. follow at Duck the cat. Yeah, don't follow me. Just follow just follow Duck's account. Is Duck a, a boy or girl cat? Girl. Girl cat. Okay, that's what I. Yes. I, I thought that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> follow Duck the cat. If you want to follow, she's a better follow than I am. Yeah, for sure. yeah outside the NBA, not a bad follow either. But uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on, James, and hopefully we can do it again soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.